dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. How did Jesus Christ form his apostles to be bold proclaimers of his word? One way was by sending them where they thought they could never go, into the darkness and into fearful places, armed with nothing more than his word and the powers of his priesthood. And yet they were not alone. In fact, he promised that he would be with them always. Doesn't he do the same to us today? In this final segment of our 10-part series, we look at the way he formed his apostles to understand how he trains us for leadership today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another great opportunity for us to go deeper in our sense of leadership as Christians and to combine the power of the gospel behind what we need to get done every single day. Let's remember that leadership is not a question of business or military only. Those are, of course, examples of it. But every time where we need to go from point A to point B to initiate and to effectuate a change in the world around us, we need to call upon a sense of leadership. And that's precisely why so few people seem really willing to change. Because you've got to go into what's not comfortable. You have to pass into the great void of going from where you are now to where you want to be. If you walk into a classroom, for example, and the kids are throwing spitballs at the board, you either confront it and change it, or you just go along with it. You either lead or you let the kids lead the classroom. It's up to you. And then that, of course, that's going to make you either a good teacher or a bad teacher, depending on how well you can educate, move from where they are, to where they need to be. That's even the word education, educare. It means to lead from, right? Well, that's why teachers, a great teacher will be a great leader. And now, of course, there's different domains of leadership. There's different limitations of leadership. But fundamentally, there's a constant. And that is that I need that ability to both desire something beyond the frontiers of my current existence, more the boundaries of my current life and the limitations that I've imposed upon myself. And then the desire, the, the ability to plan a way to do that in the best way forward. Then I need to initiate that plan and just jump. And having jumped like a, like a bird taken off from the, the limb of the tree, I'm perpetually falling forward. <laughs> Flight is nothing more than, than falling in a perpetual, in a perpetual suspension. It's just like running is nothing more than falling from one foot to the next. And yet that's the brilliance of our life. We, we move into the unknown and we make do with every second that comes in the best way possible. And of course, the greatest leader is then the one who brings other people into that great journey with them. And that's what you are from all all of you, wherever you're sitting. And I want to especially talk to you about the power that you have in your business and in the world, your professional career to make those changes for Christ in beautiful ways. 
And so there's no better way to do that than to go back and to look at how in, in the gospel, Jesus prepared his own apostles to do this. I mean, he is the king of kings and he knows us better than anything else. So how did Jesus prepare these men to be the valiant and bold leaders effectuating the most important of changes in the most profound of ways? How did he get them ready for it? I mean, no one had a greater, has a greater responsibility than the one who's, who's the, you know, serves as a priest of Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> you really have said that your cause is the most important of all causes, which means that the greatest responsibility is on your back. I mean, it, it, how do you get a person ready to do that? And, and well, now, if you take the same way and you look at a disciple of Jesus Christ in the workplace, and you say, well, I, I mean, look, what most people say is, I am not worthy of doing that, and so I'm not going to do it. And you've got a whole vast majority of Christians out there today denying their Christianity in the practicality of the workspace. Because it's almost like you say, well, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to say that. We're not allowed to think that. And so what happens to your Christianity? Well, we'll keep it in the church. And in the church, we'll breathe free. But then we go out into society and we'll let someone else set the pace and let someone else make the rules for how we're going to think and act and, and, and believe in the world. Well, guys, this is just, it might sound like a tempting thing, but it's just, this is how Christians have never lived this way. Christians don't live by hiding the light out of fear of the darkness. Christians are, have to be bold and take the light into the darkness and take Christ into the culture. Right? Well, to do that, you see, you have to be bold. And there, I think, is the secret to our Lord's training of his 12 apostles. He taught them how to be bold. And we've been going over this now. This is the 10th in the final episode here in our series that we've been tra you know, going on. He makes them bold by the truth. He makes them bold by putting them together. He makes them bold by allowing them to make mistakes. I mean, you know, this whole series we've been talking about, all the different ways that Jesus trained his apostles— and I want to, in this last one, look with you, I think, at one of the most beautiful truths of how he formed the apostles. Namely, he sent them ahead of him. He sent them ahead of him once when he was practicing, of course, in the Gospel of St. Luke. We see that, right? He called the 72, and then he sent them ahead of him into every town or village that he himself intended to enter in order to prepare the way before him. And he gave them a power to, power to heal the sick. He gave them authority to proclaim the gospel, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And you know, you can almost say, well, that was practice. Yeah, it was. Practice for what? What they would do after Pentecost, when they would go again ahead of him. Now, I want you to think about that, because on the one hand, we're supposed to be following him. And there gives us great assurance. When you follow Jesus, you get to see him. Isn't that wonderful? There he is. And he's doing all these things. And we're Jesus's little helpers. And of course, that's always true. It's exactly what's going on. It's just that there's a, yet another way to look at what we do. And that's not just by following the visible Jesus, but by going where we don't see Jesus. See, moving forward in faith requires that we don't see, feel, or even always understand what God is doing with our life. We feel like we're going ahead of him. Now, good. We don't really go ahead of him. He's always with us. And there, therefore, you have this incredible uh, dichotomy of way of feeling and the truth. 
The way that we feel is that we're called to operate in a world that can be scary. And in situations where we, we don't always feel the, the certitude of our faith. And yet we're called to operate in that world with the knowledge that he has never abandoned us and that in fact he is with us and within us. The great question that, that makes sense to me and that so many of us have is why does he do it this way? Why doesn't he just stay with us in, in a visible way? Why did he go in the ascension up to heaven? Why didn't he just stay on the earth? You know, why, why does he send us outside of our comfort zones when he could do the work himself? Why am I doing something that Jesus could be doing himself? It's the great question, which is the reason why so many Christians today just are mute in the public sphere. We, we don't really believe that he sent us there to do something, right? Like as soon as you do, as soon as you start looking at your job as your mission field, your job changes. I'm not saying to be a missionary by proclaiming the faith in an overt way, but I am saying to look at your profession as, as it should be, the result and the opportunity for an instrument of God to do God's work on the earth. If I'm doing whatever I'm doing, from repairing cars to teaching classes to wiping windows, I'm doing it with the love of God in my heart for this world. And therefore, what I'm doing is a prayer that I offer back to him and an act of love for my fellow human being. But I am a Christian as I do it. And therefore, there's also times where my work will bear witness to the kingdom in such an effective way that people will ask me why I work the way that I do. And I better be ready at those moments to tell them about the Lord and the power of his resurrection and the beauty of our faith. You see, but now how do I get that feeling? It's when I know that I've been sent. That's what I want to look at. Jesus sending the apostles ahead of him on purpose for the sake of the apostles' faith so that the apostles are formed thereby to be these bold proclaimers, men who aren't in the world in a neutral way. So the last thing that we need are more Christians walking around in neutrality. We need Christians who are Christian, <laughs> believe it or not. And we need to look at that more deeply. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. So we're trying to understand how our Lord forms or trains leaders. And we're looking at the apostles as an example of that. And the strangest thing in our Lord's training is that, number one, he rises from the dead before it seems like the training is finished. I mean, if you were to look at the, the 12 apostles and take stock of their actions, their, their skill sets, their courage, you would not exactly say they're at the pinnacle of their strength when our Lord rises from the dead. And yet, strangely, when he stands in their midst in John chapter 21, he says to them, peace be with you. And in Greek, that word that he uses for peace, it, it literally is the word for wholeness or completeness. Almost as if to say it is finished, right? You are now ready. 
Because right after he says, peace be with you, he then says, as the Father has sent me, so do I send you. The sending of the apostles happens not when the apostles feel like their formation is complete, not when they feel like they've appropriated everything and learned everything and now they're ready to do it. No. The sending of the apostles happens when Christ has himself won the victory over sin and death and he's going to bring the apostles into a deepening progressively of their life into that mystery. It's, it's such an amazing thought because most of us, are, I think, first comes training and then comes, you know, doing what you've been trained to do. And yet the apostles are going to be asked to do things that they've never been trained to do. And this is on purpose, right? Jesus knows what he's doing here. He, he's telling, he's saying, I'm not calling the equipped. I'm equipping the called, right? When we follow him, we need to be ready, not just to be trained to do things so that we can execute perfectly on the Lord's plan. The only way to execute perfectly on the Lord's plan is to let the Lord execute his plan through us. And this means that the real training of an apostle is one of dependence on Christ, surrender to Christ. And the more that we surrender to him, the bolder that we become in our proclamation. This is the, the real test of whether or not we're ready to be evangelizers in our culture, or at least that we're ready to be Christians speaking in our culture, is our relationship with him. And, and, and that's, I think, it's such a test for the 12 apostles. It's like, what are we supposed to do next? Well, Peter starts speaking in tongues, of course, in the day of Pentecost. And then, and then there's 3,000 men who are baptized in one single day. Well, now they're off to the races because now all of a sudden you've gone from 12 followers to 3,000 followers in 10 hours. <laughs> your, your growth ratios there are pretty enormous, right? And now you've got a whole nother set of problems. You've now have to manage this whole community. You've got incoming members. You've got the training of the existing members. You've got the access service needed to meet the needs of the members. You've got all kinds of dissensions that are going to come up. I mean, you're going to have people that are put to death for their faith. How do you handle that? How is St. Peter supposed to handle the death of St. Stephen? He doesn't even have a book to do the funeral. There's no books written about the thing. How do you say mass? How do you preach well? How do you train priests? My goodness. And so Simon Peter now is thrown into a whole new world where God, of course, guides him every step of the way. But what does he require from Simon Peter? An absolute trust in his presence, right? Even though he can't see him, even though he can't feel him, even though he doesn't know where the Lord is in terms of like his physical presence, he promised that he would be with him always. And Simon Peter leans in against that promise. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into the church precisely to supplant for the needs the church has in accomplishing God's will. The Holy Spirit is there to strengthen, to vivify, to give us all that we need as the presence of Jesus in our midst, wherever the Holy Spirit blows, Christ's power is known and made manifest. So what are you supposed to do when you're following a spirit? <laughs> when, you're, you know, when you're following and walking in the spirit, you know the, the Latin word for spirit literally is the word for breath. It's synonymous with the word for wind or the, like a gust of wind, right? And so the same thing, the gust of wind is the same etymology as ghost, which is why in, in the old days we used to say it was the Holy Ghost because it was the Holy Gust. 
It was a holy breath that God breathes upon. Well, when, if you're walking in that, where are, you, where are you supposed to go for your guidance? You need to let him move you from the inside. Well, that's, and you could say on the one hand, well, that's not very effective. I don't like that. It means I lose control. When I'm like, well, yes, in a sense, I mean, you're not just doing your work anymore. You're doing the work of God. And so, of course, you need to do your jobs on this earth and do them with wisdom and prudence and, and all of that. But to allow ourselves the freedom of the Spirit means to allow ourselves to walk in a new light as we do it. As we use our intelligence and our practical skills and as we go about our job, to not go about those things like a slave, confined to the ways of thinking about even our own careers that the world gives us. I'm not in this to serve the world. I'm in this to serve Christ. And that means that my reference point is his spirit. And that's, of course, a challenge because you can't see the spirit. The wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it. You know not where it comes from or where it goes, our Lord says. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Well, then what's my reference point supposed to be? I mean, I'm a practical person. I'm a Christian business leader. I'm working every day in my profession. How am I supposed to bring my faith into all of that? In many ways, I think you probably feel a lot like Simon Peter and the apostles felt. I mean, they were sent to do a mission and with the Lord having gone to heaven. What were they supposed to do? How, why would he do that? Except to bring them back to the essential. The key element for all of us is our relationship with the Lord. Our personal relationship in faith with the Lord. This faith doesn't replace all of the needs for that we have for our skill sets and for our professional careers and, and for the balance and doing things you know, in the world. But it does make us do those things as if we were not of the world. In other words, we operate in the world, but we bring a new spirit into that world, the spirit of Christ risen from the dead. And we do that by our dependency upon him, that he, in fact, is using us to work his great plan and his great operation up across the globe. And what are we to do? We're to drop to our knees every day, begin every neat day with a morning offering, lift up our day in our career, holy mass every day that we can live as if we were his emissaries, as if we were his ambassadors in and through the things that we do every day. And that's exactly what the apostles had to do. Now, the question is, how did Jesus get him ready for that? And how did he keep them in that state, that fruitful state? Of, of witnessing to him all the days of their life. And that's one of the biblical secrets that we need to look at. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. You know, when I read the Bible, there's a lot of things that surprise me about the Lord. One of them is this line that he says. He says, behold, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm, I'm just imagining what would happen if you as an employer were to tell that to your new hire. Congratulations. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to go out and do something you're completely not trained for, not ready for. And behold, the, the risks are great and you might, it might cost you your job. Now go ahead and do it. Well, you wonder what your success rate is going to be. I mean, how many of those new hires are going to stay? All of, all of a sudden, they start floating their resume around behind your back, right? Because no one wants to be sent ahead for failure. 
And yet when our Lord's talking to his disciples, he's like, the world's going to hate you. You're, you're going to be persecuted, cast off from your families. Children will rise up and accuse parents uh, uh, and, and brother will turn brother in against brother. I mean, uh, you know, brother-in-law against mother-in-law and all these different things are going to happen. And it's all going to be because of his name. And in the end, you're going to be made to suffer a lot. You, you look at that and you say, this, is, this doesn't sound like really a great way to recruit, you know, new priests. <laughs> it doesn't sound like for a great way to recruit anyone to follow him. Anyone who wishes to follow me must pick up his cross daily and follow me. How, why was he doing that? What was, what, what was our Lord saying? You know, maybe he was getting them ready for a life where they had to be the protagonists of history. It is not easy to start something brand new. And the apostles represented a new beginning for the history of the world. I mean, our Lord is proclaiming the fulfillment of Judaism. He's proclaiming the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's saying that there is something new upon the earth, and I need these men to be able to bring that newness into the world. For this reason, I think the apostles are really leaders par excellence. I mean, every act of leadership requires entering into the void the nothingness of what doesn't yet exist. I mean, a leader is someone who effectuates change, right? So he takes a current scenario and he makes it new. Well, to do that, you've got to go from point A to point B across this zone. The, I call it the void, the leadership, the void of leadership. It's this kind of, this place where you don't yet have what you're moving towards. And of course, all Christians, in a way, have the, are in this state. We're taking the world from where it currently is, and we're bringing it into its consummation in the world to come. And so in the meantime, we're exerting this change with our mind uh, set on heaven and our hands and our bodies fixed on this earth, but we're transforming. We're working the clay towards a future objective. And so we, we ourselves are in this leadership place the place where leaders are needed. At the end, when, when everything is consummated, you won't need leaders anymore. We'll be all around the throne of the Lamb singing his praise as he submits the entire world to the Father. And then God will be all in all and it'll be a glorious day. Leaders are needed, however, where the change needs to take place. And so our Lord, knowing that he's sitting his apostles into that, is willingly sending them into a spot where there's going to be conflict. Behold, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves, right? Be as simple as doves and as coy as serpents. And even while the apostles were with him and he was with them, you know, training them, so to speak, he already put them into some difficult situations. So think of the time when he had all the crowd following him and he turns to Philip and he says, Philip, where will we get food to feed so many people? And it says he knew what he was going to do, but he said this to test Philip. Or again, when Mary and Martha came to see Jesus and said that Lazarus, your friend is sick, expecting him to come to, to raise Lazarus up, to heal him. And Jesus allows Lazarus to die in order to bring Martha and Mary even deeper in their faith, asking them, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Or when he puts Simon Peter on the spot, right? And he asked the apostles, who do men say that I am? And then he asks him point blank, who do you say that I am? Right? There's, a, there's, there's all of this training that he gives them where he is kind of on the tough side. I mean, he puts them onto a boat and he lets them ro row against the wind for an entire night. 
That doesn't seem like the most gentle, you know, way to treat his apostles. And sometimes he does things without even explaining to him to them why he's doing them. He talks to the Samaritan woman goes, and doesn't explain why he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Or he allows the other women to come and to cry on his feet. And he, 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 he jars the apostles' expectations. And he allows them from time to time to be put into extreme scenarios. When, for example, there's the, the child who has a, a, a demon throwing him into the fire and they're not able to cast the demon out, even though previously they had cast out demons. They can't cast this one out. And they turn to our Lord to say, why? And he says, ah, well, this one can only be driven out by fasting and prayer. Uh, how many times does our Lord not put them ahead of him? Right, saying, do things to, and to wherein they encounter their own limitations and they're forced to fight their way through, only to then show them that he is with them. Not only to save them, to lift them up, to, to bring them out of that situation, to teach them appropriately, because he knows that he's going to be doing the same thing for the rest of their lives. The fact is, we who are leaders need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We who are leaders need to be comfortable with being on the cutting edge of history. Sometimes being on the cutting edge of history makes you bleed. It takes an exceptional amount of courage to shine light when you're living in darkness. It takes an exceptional amount of hope to speak about heaven when you live in a culture that's denying God's very existence. And yet this is exactly what the apostles did. They came forth with a gospel about the splendor of marriage between a man and a woman as God intended it. And they defended that truth. John the Baptist had defended the dignity of marriage all the way to his death. They had to be bold and they were bold in their proclamation because Christ taught them to be such. And that the promise is always twofold. Number one, I'm sending you forth into difficulty because I intend for you to be there. And then number two, I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. I am with you always. And I think about this few times in the life of St. Paul, where St. Paul bears witness to this. In the midst of some of his, his deepest you know, fatigue and opposition, our Lord would come and stand by him and be with him. As the world treated Jesus, so it will treat us but as Jesus always stands by his apostles, so he also always stands by us. Let's stand by him, faithful to the end. Let's not be like those who turn back, those who, who, who run away from the glorious message that we have. We're here, in other words, not to follow a, a world in order to be accepted by it. We're here to lead a world by the joyful proclamation of its consummation in Christ Jesus and the glorious plan that God has laid up for it. And this is why Christ has given us the influence he has, so that we use it for his glory and to bring hope into the hearts of everyone around us. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org and visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.